You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello and welcome to the GFR show. It's Lisa Cherney and I'm really happy to spend this time with you. I have another really amazing guest. His name is Dan McPherson and gosh, there's so much to share about him. So this is what I'll share to start is that he is an international speaker, personal development coach, and he's the CEO of Leaders Must Lead. And he has this cool podcast called Dreams Are Real. And, you know, when I first heard about the podcast name, I kind of have this funny thing with dreams and like talking about dreams and kind of like, oh my gosh, if I hear one more thing about dreams, I'm going to like vomit kind of thing. Like it just seems so sort of overdone and lofty. But when you meet Dan, you kind of believe in dreams. (laughs) And he really does you know, he's been through some stuff and come out the other side. And he really now has a mission to help people see that their dreams really can be real. So here's a little bit of a shocking question to ask to kick things off. Have you talked to your kids about the concept of suicide? Now I'm talking to those of you that have younger kids. I had not thought about this in particular, and this is coming from a mom who feels like I have a really great relationship with my 14 year old. And we talk about pretty much everything, you know, sexuality, you know, stress and fears and quitting and like just all kinds of stuff, you know, and when Dan was sharing with me that 11 years ago, When he was a rising star in the corporate world, he was so broken and so empty that he tried to attempt suicide for the second time. And at the time, his son was eight. He's now 17. And he shared with me how he talked to his son about the experience and how he, I don't know, just like, it just was such a fascinating thing to really drop into is like, gosh, you know, I've talked to my kid about tough topics, like, you know, why some people don't believe that people are gay and, you know, like racism and all these 
controversial things, but to, to really talk to your kid about how some people don't want to live and that, you know, and that dad was one of those people. And like, I just, it feels like quite a phenomenal eye-opening, brave, brave thing to do. So he did not go through with it, obviously. And um, his son now is 17 and just a thriving young man. And he believes dreams are real. And he is like an evangelist for it. And uh, he has a really cool leadership company. In fact, um, the free gift that you'll see in the show notes is basically his the foundations of leadership course. Um, that is something that he actually charges people for, but he's giving it to our listeners. So you want to grab that in the show notes. And he shares with us beautifully about his life. He even addresses something that he has not really addressed publicly. So we're about confessions here. So that's not out of the ordinary, but I always honor that when a guest feels safe enough to, you know, just really GFR with us. And so I think you'll find him really endearing and enlightening. And uh, without further ado, Mr. Dan McPherson. Hello, hello, Dan McPherson. Welcome to the GFR show. Hello, hello, Lisa Cherney. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am too. Now, whenever this is released, I'm not even sure at the moment in time, but we are recording it in September. And just four days ago, we recorded my interview on your show. And it was two hours of just really having fun with the twists and turns of the life that is Lisa Cherney. And you, I got to talk about stuff that I talked about like in a long time or like to the extent we're asking and um, like, you know, my high school and my mom had cancer and just sort of just how, you know, the early corporate days and my internship, TNT and all this fun stuff. So I'm excited for people to hear my interview on your show too. Oh, it was fantastic to have you there and to just walk from the beginning to the end. We got the origin story of the superhero that you are now. And I, I love <laughs> being able to being able to tell that. And you you really are proof that dreams are real. And it's it's awesome to hear. Thank you. Yes, that's Dan's uh, show name, if I didn't say it in the intro, Dreams Are Real, which I'm sure I will have said it in the intro, but um, <laughs> it's just it's a great, it's a great name. And it's funny because when I was preparing and you, you uh, gave some questions in advance, you know, when I think about dreams, I'm like, oh, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a, a firefighter and I want to, you know, be a neurosurgeon. I was like, this is going to be interesting because I never really had one of those. And I very much sort of made it up as I went through life in, in a, to a large extent. And so it was fun to kind of call out when I could see at some extent of some dream, like leaving corporate America and just the, the feeling discovered. It was more like the feelings that I wanted to have, I would dream about versus like knowing, like feeling like I knew what that was, what it was going to get me there. I just knew like I needed freedom I needed to leave corporate or, you know, like that. So right, you, you were all about crafting that, that journey and crafting what you, where you wanted to be rather than a particular destination. And I, I love that. So few people do, but it's, it's the next enlightened level step, I think. And, and you've grabbed that early and had the courage to step into it. Thank you. Yeah. It was fun to see that. So let's do a, a cool segue and say that I am super honored to, to be able to share the story that we're going to share today. And I will give an upfront 
sort of like, you know, how they do on TV. There were like, where they're like, show you tragedy. And they're like, meanwhile, two years ago or whatever. You know, it's like, I fucking hate that. But a lot of them, they use that format a lot. But it's the way it serves here for the show is that um, I want to create, I want to really create a cost for what you're going to share. And just say up front that we're really going to sandwich like a juicy bit of your story between two attempt, suicide attempts and right. one 16 and, and one about 11 years ago. And the thing, and I thank you so much for your willingness to, to, to go there and to share this. And I, I, I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again on the show. I, I hear what I feel like is, is, is everything is a lot, you know, and I feel like, there wasn't anything that I really hadn't heard, but the one thing that I feel like I've learned through doing this show is just how prevalent suicidal ideation and suicide attempts and sur surviving that, how prevalent that is that I didn't know before. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that before. Of all the things that my clients share with me, which is a lot, <laughs> I, I just think that's one of those, one of the topics, you know, there's a few topics that are still real hidden. And, you know, with, with uh, COVID, there's been a lot more conversation, particularly around young people and how this is impacting them. And I have a teenager and you have a teenager. I have a 14 year old, you have a 17 year old. And so, right. you know, we see how this is impacting them. So I feel like I'm really grateful. There's a lot more conversation about mental health now, but I still think that we could be talking about it more. Those of us, and I'm not among that. So I don't want to include myself. Those of you who have that as part of your story, how important it is to share because it is so fucking prevalent and it's so connected to depression, which is even more prevalent. And here you are, a super fucking successful entrepreneur. Like you're on the backside of it, which so many people are. And it's and it served in some way as a catalyst for growth and change. And so so Dan, thank you so much for you know being willing to kind of share with us that as a touchstone in our story today. I am glad to share and thank you for the opportunity to do so. You, you mentioned that it's important. I think it's maybe the most important thing that we could possibly talk about. I believe it's the largest epidemic in the world right now that it's still hidden away and, and a lot of times there's a lot of shame around it, whether it be depression or suicide. I, I had this moment a year and a half ago where I sent out an email to 300 of my entre entrepreneurial friends and when I sent that email, I simply asked them two questions. And I asked them because of, like what you said, I was hearing stories on the podcast over and over and over as I interviewed people that were scary, horrifying, terrifying, what, take whatever you like. And I asked them two questions. I asked, number one, have you struggled with anxiety and depression? 70% said yes. Mm. I asked them, have you ever seriously considered suicide or actually attempted 30% said yes. And these are a pretty successful people. It's not a study of tens of thousands of people, but it's alarming. And then when you hear the statistics that 3,000 people a day in the US, even before COVID, uh, 3,000 teenagers, for that matter, a day attempt, it is heartbreaking. It's soul crushing. And anything that I can do to share and help give people a little bit of encouragement to understand that there is always light through the darkness, I will do that. Thank you. It's really worthwhile contribution. I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners will too. So let's start with when you were 16 years old at your first suicide attempt. What 
led up to it and uh, to that moment as much as you want to share. I don't think that's as important in terms of the details of what happened, but really what led up to it and the aftermath and whatever you think is important. I, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> sure. I, I qualify my first attempt as, in air quotes, the normal attempt. It's, it's teenagers wow. who are <laughs> feeling lost and abandoned and overlooked and unprepared for life and just feel this, I, I guess, lack of perspective so that there's so much pain that they don't feel there's an, that much of another option. When I grew up, I was hidden from my father for six years. And my mother took me out of the situation where then she unfortunately took me into a, another abusive situation. And we eventually, when I was eight years old, were kicked out of that. We came back to town. I reconnected with my father, but my mother didn't. And we were super poor. We, we just dealt with a lot of struggle. My, my mother, as I've found out since then, actually sold herself so that we could pay rent. I, I just thought there were a lot of cool guys coming and hanging around. I had no idea what was really going on at the time, thank goodness. And we didn't have food. I was bullied a lot. I, I remember a kid that broke my glasses in half and I had to wear them to school with duct tape on them for six months. She then got remarried. And when she did, I was exposed to a lot of violence and drugs and prostitution and a number of different things as a result of being connected to that family. And I, I just got to this spot where I was, I, I just didn't have anything. I was just hopeless. I, I, my friends didn't know at all how bad it was. And I decided that I was, that I was done, that, that it was over. And I planned to take my life. And I, as I went to school that day, one of my friends, she saw that I just wasn't quite right. And I don't think she had any idea how not quite right at the time, but she offered me a ride home. And then she kind of forcefully offered me a ride home. And I got in her car and we went and we sat and we talked and that conversation saved my life. And if there's a piece of advice that I can give to somebody is if you sense that something isn't quite right, have the fucking conversation. Like that conversation, she, there's no possible way she could have known in that moment that she saved my life. In fact, it was 20 years later that I told her that she saved my life that day. And she didn't know it. We didn't talk about my suicidal tendencies. We didn't talk about super heavy things. She was just there. And so many times in the middle of a suicide attempt or in the middle of suicidal thoughts, my, or even my own depression and anxiety that I've struggled with, we don't really know how to ask for help. We, in, my, in my experience, I don't know the words to say. It's not that I don't think there are people that would help. It's that I don't know what to say. And when someone noticed that and stepped up, it literally saved my life. Thank you for the vivid connection to that moment because... I mean, I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking you have a 17-year-old. I have a 14-year-old and I'm, I'm, how has parenting been impacted by that experience that you had as a teen? Well, one of the first missions that I had consciously in my life is that if I ever had children, I wanted to be an agent of generational change. Now it's a phrase that I use for business and broader in the world as we look to create generational change that decreases poverty and human trafficking and hunger and racism in the long term. But the very first time that that term came into my head was thinking of it for any future children that I would have. And I am happy slash sad to say that the first conversation that I had with my son about suicide was when he was eight. Mm. And I know of kids under 10 that have killed themselves. And it, 
and I, I can't even put it into words. Like I, my eyes tear up even as I just talk about it. And I know that the first time that, that he was dealing with issues, my son's uh, is on the spectrum and he's an amazing kid. He's the center of my world. And anybody that follows me knows that I'm all about my kid and that I would do anything in the world for him. The first time that we had discussions and we had reason to have discussions about that, he was eight. Wow. And since What was then, the reason? Um, he was... He was bullied and he was, he felt like he didn't fit in, like he had nobody to communicate with. He didn't know how to outlet those emotions. And, and some of that is very common with kids with Asperger's, right? Is they don't, they don't understand the outlet. They kind of, they haven't had the time to get through the training to really put them there. And so many parents I see are, are just terrified to have this conversation in the first place. And, and I'm, I'm beyond grateful that I've always had a relationship with him where we could share anything. And to this day, we do. I have a 17-year-old that will talk to me about the, the deepest things going on in his world. And I've spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours promoting and protecting that. And I'm, I'm honored by it because I know so many parents that don't. We've talked about this and about depression and anxiety in very real ways. And because I speak out, speak out about it in the world, he sees some of that as well. But that was the start. The start was him getting where I was, but getting there in a completely different way, same feelings. And yes. thankfully it never went beyond ideation to an actual attempt. It, ne it never got all the way there, but the path it was on is pretty certain. I just think how powerful it is to broach the topic and in, and in essence, educate a young child about well, if you're thinking this, it's called suicide and people think about this when they feel X, Y, Z and they think it's a solution. And like, I, I'm thinking about conversations I've had with my kid and I'm thinking about like, you know, my soapbox is around like self-expression and being unapologetic, which leads right. to, you know, self-expression around sexuality and and body image and how you feel about yourself. And so those were very, very, you know, like that was my sort of right. uh, way that, you know, that was my vow that I, that my kid was going to have a healthy relationship with her food, with food and her body and, you know, and, and, and her sexuality and, and that. So I, I could, I for sure relate to really early on conversations fostering that, but I could tell you that probably wasn't until we watched a TV show, right. Where a kid, you know, tried to kill himself or, you know, whether that, or there was maybe a, I'm trying to think there was like a, 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 an assembly at school, right. Where it was brought up, right. where there was a serious conversation about it. So, you know, it's so for whoever's listening, if this is a, a trigger for you to talk to your kid, <laughs> fucking awesome. And you there know, are some, or, there are some great tools that make that easier and that give you a really smoother in by a million miles than I had. I mean, I saw pain. And so I started asking questions but it was, you're right. It was, it was fucking hard, right? Like the, at, at, it was, I think it was around 10 years old. I, I heard the phrase, I don't really have any specific reason to die, but I don't have any to live either. Mm. And you want to hear that from your kid and look in his eyes and see your, and just feel your heart drop out. That's, that's a moment. That's a moment you won't forget. Yeah. And I'm thankful that I've had so many moments to remember in a good way since then because yes. a lot of parents don't. Yes. Yes. <sighs> okay. So 
a conversation with this friend who obviously intuitively was feeling like, I do not want to leave him alone. I'm going to insist on bringing him home. We're going to have a conversation. She saved your life. That was, you know, one day. And somehow you sustained wanting to live from there for a period of time. And like, and when we were preparing for the show, we really, you acknowledged, and I suspected you acknowledged like two totally different situations. Completely like, different. So different. And like, who even fucking thinks, I, I guess I haven't, maybe other people have. I don't think of types, you know, or, or right. suicide, you know, I don't. And so when you said the normal, fuck, I've never heard that, the normal <laughs> suicide attempt, like that's I, I wish I had terrible right. freaking <laughs> thing to have to say, but, but I totally get what you're, I totally, I totally related and, and, it's a label. It's funny, you know, now that I'm re- reading that word and I wrote it down, normal suicide attempt, because you know, I have this soapbox about redefining success oh, yeah. and that, and normalizing the things that we don't, you know, normalizing our past first, right? you know, and like, it's normal that you might have, you know, our child abuse survi- survivor, because that's right. so fucking common, right? Yep. And like All these things are actually more normal than what we think is normal. There's re- actually... And we say there isn't a normal, but but there really isn't. <laughs> like it no, is right. actually like a false. No, right. And the rarity is someone who hasn't had some trauma. I mean, that's the yeah, rarity. I said, I'm sorry. The rarity is that we find someone that hasn't had some. Right, trauma. right. So if we like went through life, just if we just just if we just assumed, and we just looked around and we said, all right, all of these people, like my daughter keeps having this awareness about sex. And she's like, I'm looking around my classroom and I like, now these people have had sex. It's really funny. So, so, but if we look around and go, okay, everybody here has experienced trauma. Like, wouldn't that, that would be like an immediate uniting force. If we right. just assume that everybody's had some kind of trauma and we talk to them just like they have, and that, that we know that they can relate to what, and we just, we don't even, there's no pretense. Gosh, it just feels like that would like, I don't need, I can't even imagine how that would heal the planet, propel us forward and Pro- unite us. Probably much the same way as if we assumed that everyone had value. Mm. Yes. Which is, which, and, and if we assumed that we had value, which is where a lot of that starts. Right. That would be like or, the personal expression or, of, or, of Strangely that. enough, right? Like, yeah. I'm normal means equals I have value, right? Like I'm okay. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That, that's yeah. so important. So for me, going from one to the other, they were completely different. I, I would say in many ways, the rest of my life went on in those 20 years in a, in a, quote unquote, normal way. But what's important to note is what saved me is that it's in that moment when I was 16 that someone talked to me. It's not that I needed help for 20 years. There are some people who do, but that's That's not what I needed. Mm -hmm. What I needed is that the intensity had gotten to such a high point that I needed a pressure relief valve. And just being able to have someone who actually cared and sit and talk with them for a couple of hours, it got me through that space and then I was able to maintain. Now, was I as mentally healthy as, that I, as I would like to be? No, I struggled with anxiety and depression. I was unaware of it. That wasn't even talked about at that point in time. That wasn't something that I could have put into words until much later. But I, I did, I struggled with anxiety and depression in, in any number of ways throughout the, throughout the ensuing years. And I get married and we have a kid and I'm, my career is building. I'm, I'm I go through crazy amounts of success in many ways as I'm, as I'm just intensely focused on helping as many people as I can, but doing it by climbing the corporate ladder and adding to all of those pieces. And then 
one night, as it so often happens, my life fell apart. One night, my wife and I had a conversation and she said, we're done, I'm leaving. And everything in my life was built not around me, but it was built around doing the things that I could to make sure that my family were taken care of. But it was done not in a way, I wasn't emotionally mature. I wasn't, heck, I don't know if I was mature early at all. I'd love to say I was, I was in my thirties. You would hope so, but I, I, I might've aged, but I don't know that I'd fully grown up. But when she said that, everything in my life instantly was broken, like in, in one moment. And I saw one solution. I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I couldn't be there for my family and I could not provide for them, that the very best thing I could do was to give them my life insurance policy, which at that point was a million dollars and did not have an exclusion for suicide. And I'd made sure that it didn't. And I got to tell you, looking back, I had no doubts that night that that's what I should do. Like I didn't have, this wasn't a teenage flight of fancy. This wasn't just a moment of, Yes, it was sparked by a thing. It was sparked by the straw. You know, at that moment, I would have, I would have blamed that conversation. But really, if I look, it's more the straw and the camel. It had been building for a long time, and I was a hot mess, and I had no idea. And this was the explosion of me being a hot mess. So I took the, I, I walked downstairs. I said goodbye to my son, knowing that I would never see him again. He was how old at the time? He would have been six. I said goodbye to him, and. I walked out the door, I pulled the chip out of my phone, and I drove to an area where I knew that nobody could find me, and I prepared to kill myself. And I had as much certainty as I could possibly have that it was the right thing for me to do because if I couldn't do what I was trying to do, if I couldn't be there, then a million dollars was certainly worth a hell of a lot more than my life. And that is what I believed in that moment. And I, I'll tell you to this day that it's 0% was I right. I could not have been more wrong. But I'll also tell you that it was weeks, if not months before I believed that. This wasn't a moment where I felt like that. And that's, that's one of the big things that makes it different is, is that this was, this was a considered, I actually felt for months, I felt shame that I hadn't done it. Most people feel shame that they do or that they're struggling with that. I felt completely ashamed that I hadn't actually been able to go through with it and that I hadn't gotten it done. It's the first thing in my life. Yeah, I, I, would, I would have, and I did say this at the time, that I've always stood up to the difficult decisions in my life and done them even when they were inconvenient. And I would say that in my mind at that time, my very broken mind, I would have told you that that was the very first time that I'd not done that. Mm. And I'm so thankful to this day that I haven't because the people that I've met, the lives I've been able to touch, the, the amazing things that are happening in the world are only because of that. And the biggest thing that we, the biggest thing that we lose I, I, when, when you get that far into whatever you're doing is that the perspective narrows and narrows and narrows until there's not even a point of light and the point of light goes away. And once it goes away, you're all in darkness and you have no perspective. If you had the perspective of a year later, even just one year later and you looked back, you'd go, dear God, what are you thinking? Mm -hmm. But in that moment, it doesn't, the people who haven't been through this, I think it's so hard for them to perceive how could you possibly get there? But I can tell you from having been there twice, 
you can get there and it's a scary place and I have no fucking willingness to go back there. None. So what was your little beam of light that occurred that night that kept you from doing it? I'd love to tell you in this case that it was a beam of light. Uh, it was, I tried and I found out that I literally am incapable of it. I, I actively believed passionately that it was the right thing to do. And I had it planned out. I, I, the train was coming. I was down by train tracks. I was going to, I was going to step on the train. I had the time and I didn't have the, I didn't have what I at that point would have called the courage right. to do it. What a fucking irony, right? You didn't have the courage to kill yourself. Right. I mean, that, and I'm telling you like, that is the, that is the psychosis that I was in, in that moment. And now I'm like, dear God, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. But in that moment and for the weeks following, that is not how I saw it. When the, when, when the people that were around town and the police and everybody came in, like they, they found me and I came back in and we had the conversations and they were like, we're so glad you're alive. I'm like, that's one of us. Cause mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm just ashamed to be alive. I don't, it shouldn't happen. And that was the moment that my life broke and I had to begin rebuilding everything about me. And I'm so thankful that I did. I'm so thankful that I had that space and that I am where I am now because I rebuilt myself personally and what I really believed and what I was all about. I went from being about numbers and intensity and success to being about people and connection and how do I step away from unintentional arrogance. I, I like to say those 20 years before that or when I was the unintentional asshole, that's, that's, the, that's the title of my first book. That's my origin story. And after that, it's been about understanding humility and connection and focusing on others. And then more recently, it's been about finding my personal resonance and then my business resonance and just having this mission to truly help a huge amount of people in the world to create generational change like what we've done with my son, but in such a more powerful way. So the marriage that you had at the time is no longer that relationship, is that right? No, we're still married. And what do you want to share about that? That it's been brutal. And that if you feel you shouldn't be somewhere, you probably shouldn't. And do you feel like it's your that has sort of bound you together? Yeah, it's my, my son and all of his challenges and all of his goodness are what have, are what have brought us together and what have allowed us to co-parent an amazing child. And that's really... That's what we do. We co-parent an amazing child who will be 18 next year. I can't believe we're considering, you know, he's considering college and all of these things that are conversations that never thought I would have in my life. And I, I look and go, how is it that I have an 18 year old when I waited to have a kid? <laughs> it's not even practical, but I'm so proud of, of him and the person that he's become. And what's his name? His name is Bryce. Bryce. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to connect energetically. Yeah. yeah, that's so awesome. Wow. I know the call it like my thing is the driving her, her, her driving is like the next sort of like, what, you know, and then, then, then college, which is not too far from that. No, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really crazy. And I, I think that, I think every parent should do something that binds them together energetically with their child, even aside from conversations. And I'm, I may be a little biased, but my son and I've done martial arts together for seven years. And I made sure that no matter how much I traveled, we were always back. We didn't miss a class for five years. And doing that together, getting recently our second degree black belts together and doing jujitsu together separately from that. And just all of those things have made sure that we're, that we're just connected on a lot of other levels. And yeah. 
And it also, it, it's affected my own psychology. I bring the, I bring the martial arts up because both, be, both for two reasons. One, because for kids on the spectrum that either art, music, or martial arts is almost always, one of those three is almost always a solution that helps create calm and, and, and expressiveness in the right way. And then secondly is that it tends to build an emotional fortitude that helps keep things like depression and anxiety at bay or to make suicidal issues much less likely. Thank you for that. I could totally see that. We watched a really cool documentary last night on cubing, like solving the Rubik's oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. cube. I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix, but you know, it features uh, a champion on the spectrum. And uh, it was, I cried through like the whole damn thing because oh, yeah. his parents were celebrating that, like the success, like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but they were nothing about the championship, you know, or the time or whatever, the contest, right. they were so much about our son learned how to deal with stress and our son is being social and it has connection and our son is looking forward to something. And like, they were talking about redefining success, like just, you know, so clearly celebrating just the full spectrum of right. successes. And so I really could see how your life and death perspective has created a full spectrum, very colorful appreciation for life. Oh, so much. I, one of the things that I, that I hold as a true core belief is people matter most and relationships are everything. And I spend a lot of my time now building relationships. I meet five to 10 new people a week and have real conversations, real connections with them. I, I believe passionately that every person has value. And I speak that truth into people wherever and whenever I can. And all of that perspective, I would not have had I not gone through the suicide attempts, had I not gone through the childhood that I did. All of this allows me to connect with people in a very wide range. It becomes I, a superpower, right? right? It, it kind <laughs> of does. Like somebody pointed out to me, Dan, you have friends who are in prison. You have friends who are billionaires. You have friends in, in 40 countries. And yet you have deep connections with all of these people. How do you do that? And when I look and I, I say one of the main ways that I do that, one of the main reasons I'm able to help them is because of everything that I've been through. And I get asked somewhat frequently, Dan, you know what, if you look back, what would you change? And my answer is, other than the fact that I would like to have caused other people less pain, mm. I would change nothing because it's what made me who I am. It's what's crafted me to allow me to pursue the mission that I have and that I'm meant for in the world. And I wouldn't take away from that ever. So another big turning point for you about five years after your second suicide attempt was when you left corporate and right. just like saw that you had like totally nothing left in your tank, as you say, and, and made that transition out. So I would love to, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because I feel like, you know, that's a lot, there's a lot of listeners that are either in corporate or, or just making some kind of transition out of a situation or that looks successful, that is right. the normal, yeah. <laughs> you know, into, you know, and, and dreaming and hoping, you know, dreaming about yeah. a shift and particularly in whoever knows what is being triggered in our world by the multiple events that are happening right now there. It's so easy to create stories that we can't make a change or, you know, now's not a good time. And, 
And even though they probably, you know, they're on that verge of despair. So I, I feel like it's worthwhile just spending a few minutes on that part of your sure. transition story. Sure. It's very important for me. And it's the thing that's led me to where I am now. Like, like many other things in my life, I was blissfully unaware of how empty I was. <laughs> and I was actually at a karate class one night and Master Terry, one of our teachers there who I adore, he, uh, he just came up and innocuously said to me, hey, Dan, uh, there's a podcast I'd like you to listen to. I think you'd enjoy it. Now, I'd never listened to a podcast in my life. And mm-hmm. I, I knew I'd been unhappy at work. I knew I'd been unfulfilled. I'd been just frustrated. I'd tried to teach. And like, I, I got to this point where like, I love teaching, but I had nothing to give. And I listened to the podcast. It happened to be Tim Ferriss. And I heard a couple I love of Tim episodes. Ferriss's I love Tim Ferriss. He's yes. fantastic, right? Oh, have you listened to his latest one? Um, I, I don't know which one the latest one is, but. Well, he calls it his most important episode oh, yes, that he's ever yes. done. About yep. his his um his, his abuse childhood thing. abuse. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. Phenomenal. And mm-hmm. It is. I, I spent thousands of hours, literally two to three thousand hours listening to stuff from Tim. So I, I'm I've definitely gone down that path. What I found is that I listened to just a few episodes and something sparked within me. And what sparked was, oh my gosh, what I've been missing is that I wasn't feeding in at all. I'd gotten, I, I would talk to people about the importance of feeding in, but I wasn't doing it, which is, you know, I, I think of your commandment of treat yourself as your number one customer. I wasn't doing it. I was helping other people do it and I totally missed it. And I started feeding in and I got lit up again. And then I started realizing, wait a minute, if I, I have to do something with this, I've, if I knew that I was meant for a purpose in the world, then I need to achieve it. And I either need to either, or I need to admit that I'm not going to, and I don't have 1% of me that admits I'm not going to. So after having gone through that and made a plan a few months later, my bosses flew in and they offered me my third promotion in five years. And I sat back and I looked at them and I said, what would it look like if I declined? And I walked away from a lot of money to more money than I would have dreamed I'd make earlier in my life for sure to go to zero with no other income in the house, to jump off the cliff and build my company leaders must lead. And I highlight this because yes, it's huge that I was empty and looking for fulfillment. And I found I wasn't asking the right questions. The biggest thing is I wasn't feeding the right things in. And whether that's a coach or a source or a podcast or whatever, if we aren't feeding in, then we're not growing. And in life, we either go forward or backward every day. And if we think we're sitting still, we're going backward. It's kind of like inflation happens around us. The other thing is that we become the average of the five people we spend the most time around. I, I believe that. And I believe you should change your five every quarter as when I evaluate them. And Tim Ferriss became one of those five. They don't have to be somebody in person. And it changed everything. The final reason I share it is because once again, an innocuous conversation there that, that Master Terry couldn't have had any idea that him randomly, quote unquote, saying, hey, listen to a podcast. You've never heard one? Cool. I think you'll like this. Would have literally started my business and changed my life. But it's because I surrounded myself with the right people that I put myself in that opportunity and that I was able to escape the 25-year empty search for fulfillment that certainly equipped me and gave me a lot of tools and skills and all the things that I needed to be able, that I would need later to be able to help people. But I didn't know I needed. And it was in that moment that everything changed. How the heck did you have the courage to leave a job without any income when you were quote unquote, you know, providing for your family 
Cause that, that's the, like, but right. That's the question that I get asked all the time too. I know you do. And, and my husband had quit his job three months before my third right. layoff to go to car packing school. So y'all, there was no, you know, there's no, no partner at home to, to, to nope. do the heavy lifting. So just anything more you want to share about that? Well, I would say it goes back to what I, what I said earlier that when I've faced a difficult decision, I believe that you do the right things the right way all the time and the right things will happen. I believe, I believe when in doubt, you do the right things, even if they're inconvenient. And so I've faith, helped, just faith. And I, it it wasn't just faith. There is a little more to it, but I think there is a component of that, right? I think there's a component of saying, if I am doing what I'm meant to do in the world, then I will find a way. Now, some of that also is preparation. I'd spent the last 10 years learning about every department of every company I'd been with and growing companies. At this point, I was leading 2,000 people and a couple hundred million in business, and I'd gained some really good skills. I had no idea how to start a company, even more than I realized I had no idea as I got, <laughs> as I got into it. But, Me too. I thought I had the marketing and selling part handled when I, because I had been right. in market. And then I learned I knew nothing about marketing and selling myself, which is how conscious marketing was birthed. Right. I realized exactly. what I did. Exactly. I just I had no idea. But I would also say this, that when it first came up, when that Tim Ferriss moment hit me, <laughs> I went to a couple of friends that I looked at as mentors and I was like, I'm going to leave. And they said, you might want to make a little bit of a plan first. And so I did take a few months to make a plan. I, I wouldn't want it to sound like I did it completely on a whim. Now, I might have had they not stepped in. But they stepped in and said, have a little bit of a plan. So I knew to a degree what I was going to do. But where I think people get missed is either they do it with no plan and they jump into the ether and just kind of hope it works out, which it can, right? Or they, or they try to wait till they have all of the plan and every dot and jot and tittle and everything perfectly in place, which is kind of like getting, kind of like looking for the convenient time to have a baby. It's probably not going to come. And I, I was able to find that spot where I had some preparation, but I didn't get caught in analysis paralysis. And then the moment presented itself and I took a really deep breath, like a real, maybe a few of them. <laughs> and, and, and when I said that, I literally said that, that phrase, what would it look like if I declined? And man, that was one of the, it was one of the more challenging sentences to get to come out of my mouth, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was the right thing. And what I would tell people, this is something that Tim Ferriss would share as well, is you know you need to do something when you can't not do it. That's how you know when you need to write a book. That's how you know when whatever. And I couldn't not do it. I didn't have a piece in me that would let me not do it. And so I had to. I love that. I love that. You couldn't not do it. And I, and it's, I have, an, a perfect, I have like an example that immediately pops into my head when I first made a significant $20,000 uh, investment in a mentor. And I had my business for eight years prior to that. I had made little investments along the way, but I had never made one of those big, you know, uh, right. five-figure investments. And, <laughs> and I remember being at the event, and this is, you know, in 2009, and thinking, I just can't go home. Like, I can't go home the same person. Yeah. I, you know, I can't go right. home being exposed to all this and, and feeling this level of support that's there. And I can't go home having not done it. So that, right. I, that I, I have a distinct memory when you say that of what comes up for me. If you feel like it. you can't not do it. Yeah, that's really, really great. Yeah, because, I mean, that's what happened with me with my seven-figure business that I built from that mentorship <laughs> inspiration and that I then let go, you know, uh, I was like seven years after that. 
like I, it was crazy to let go of it. And I tried to figure out the plan and have a plan. And I crunched the numbers with finance right. and do all, but, but really the bottom line was I could not do it regardless of what I was, you know, right. regardless of what plan B was, you know, and, and whether I could see that or not, I couldn't not do it. I couldn't stay. So I think that's a cool decision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. You're like, I'm going to try and make a plan, but let me just tell you, this is going to happen. <laughs> well, and I got to that. I tried to make a plan and I played in the pretending that I could have a plan. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it just, and this is what I tell people now is lean into it and just right. keep leaning into it, getting more information, keep connecting with how you feel until you can make a decision. Right regardless of what you uncover, but just leaning into it and getting more data. Like someone today said to me, well, will you, will you be my JV partner for this? And it was a client that was talking right. to me and I was super excited about what she was doing. And then it was really great for her. She transitioned to, would you be, you know, it's okay to say no, but would you be willing to promote it? And I said, I don't have enough information yet. So figure out, do the 10 steps that right. we talked about. And right. so that I could have, a, and just send it to me and then I'm going to know, you know, but I, I don't, I don't make any decisions without feeling like I'm feeling, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling, yeah. I have enough to feel, you know, and my husband is an engineer. He'll say, we don't have enough data. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> I, I like to say that if your gut says no, you should always walk away. If your gut says yes, you should validate the hell out of it. Oh, and that's good. And I, I would also, I would also tell anybody that that's listening that no matter how much work you do to prepare, there's always a moment. There's always a moment where you're going to have to take the courageous step. It doesn't like, I'm sure that when you decided to do the thing with your business, like there, there's a moment where you're like, all right, I got to actually do the thing. And it may be a really short moment. It may be a long moment for me. For me, it was a pretty short moment. It was the, just before, just as they set up the conversation and I had to take in that breath to say the sentence, I had a moment where I had to, I had to be willing to step across the threshold. And that step is always a little bit fraught, even if you know you're stepping into your goodness, because that, that's, that's part of it. Have you had a journey around trusting your intuition? Because as I'm writing down your awesome quote about, you know, if your gut says yes, validate the hell out of it. If it says no, walk away. I reflect on your suicide stories and how sure you were that though that, you know, it's particularly the the more recent one, how sure you are that was the right thing. So it has, have you had a journey with trusting yourself? I certainly have. And, and a lot of that journey has been understanding the difference between emotion and objectivity. I, I, like, I do like to make decisions based on data, not emotion, but mostly what I like to do is I, I've, I've learned to give myself a little bit of distance. So a little, somewhat like what you were saying a, a moment ago where you said, hey, I had this person approach me and I'm all excited about it, but let me take a breath. And I, I like to talk about this as inserting a device. Uh, it's, it's maybe not the best term. Maybe, maybe employing an interrupt is better. That to take something, and I take this from my sales experience. When I would, when I would go and present, I would do this hour and a half pr presentation. I'm on straight commission. I'm in a telemarketed leads home. And I'd get done, and in my head, I just did the single perfect presentation. And I would look across the table, and I'd say, all right, well, would you like to pay cash or finance? And they would say, I want to think about it. And my first response was, well, what the hell do you want to think about? As I leaned over the table, I'm like, well, what do you want to think about? Right? And it's, which is not conducive to anything. And all that was was a purely emotional reaction. That wasn't gut. That wasn't intuition. That was ego. 
and ego is the enemy of really every, I, I like Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy, but also ego is what gets on our way. It's what causes us, the, causes us the biggest issue. So I'll put a thing in the middle. I taught myself in that example to sit back, cross my legs and take one breath. It only takes about one and a half seconds generally to detach. And that detachment, Jocko Willing talks about detaching as well. That detachment puts you in a spot where you can actually listen to your intuition instead of purely being lost in the emotion. Nice. I think that's a, so could you say the distinction again, objectivity versus? Well, I, I will, I start out by saying data versus emotion or objectivity versus objectivity versus emotion, but mostly it's, we're, we're lost in that river of emotion. We employ an interrupt and our brain can engage. It's not that it's and not so that emotion can our is, gut. I would add, so can our yeah, gut. And so can our gut. I, I, mm -hmm. As I say, I'm a big fan of the gut. I just, I, well, the reason I look at the yes, no thing is that when our gut says no, which is almost always not what we want, it's almost always right because it's telling us what we didn't want to hear. But when it says yes. Depending on the situation. <laughs> right, but I'm broadly, yeah, yeah. right? But when it says yes, it's kind of what we want to hear. Sometimes we can just be convincing ourselves. So that's when we ask a bunch of questions. That's when I validate the hell out of it. And I don't have to go and, and search like, oh, am I going to be wrong? No, my batting average with my gut saying yes is pretty good, but it's worth validating. I, I learned that lesson when I was hiring. We had must-haves. We had these four or five must-haves. And, and they're, they're a lot like your decision criteria that you mentioned. Hey, follow these steps. Do these things. Give me this information. And I knew these were must-haves, not want-to-haves. But I'd get somebody who met four of them. And I'd be like, I really like this person. And then I'd hire them. And never would they be a high performer. But I really just loved the hell out of them. But I knew that objectively, if somebody didn't meet all five, there was no chance they were going to become a high performer. But I'd convince myself of it because I'd listened to the gut that wanted to just say yes. Mm. Rather than applying some degree of perspective and a filter. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I could do a, a whole other hour on it because I feel like what I'm hearing you say feels very sound and very actionable for certain people that are in a phase of their relationship with their gut yeah. <laughs> where, where the default, it, like you said, usually if it's a no, it's usually if your gut's a no, it's likely not going to, wouldn't have been your natural response because we automatically, we say right. yes more often. And I feel like I could, I feel like I could resonate with the Lisa that really would have appreciated that. And I feel like the Lisa that I am now is just so fuck objectivity. <laughs> like I'm so, <laughs> I'm just so over my logical brain and my strategic thinking and like what makes sense and i'm just so over it <laughs> and i feel like i've had to unplug from from that i, I say you know strategy and smarts fuck with our flow you yeah. know i just had to unplug well, I, we get in our own way i agree yeah. with you. <laughs> i i, I want to be clear i'm not saying set all emotion aside i'm more saying when it says what i want i just want to do a little bit of validation like yeah i think what yeah. you're saying is totally spot on but, like, but i, I get think, i get what you're saying too yeah yeah i think it's just we all know sort of what we what we need to lean into in terms of how we're growing ourselves right what is right. the stretch for me the stretch really is completely throwing out <laughs> as right. much as i can but of course you know i'm mentoring i'm unmentoring people all day long and so much of the unmentoring space is about what do you feel how does it feel what do you want to do what feels fun what feels fun what do you want to do? you know it's just it's like
a broken record of keep of of really flipping the 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 the, kelf, the camera the selfie camera you know back on well how do you feel how does it you know because we're so unpracticed with that and it is such a it's it's it is the thing I think that's underdeveloped with most. I I agree. I think the other thing, and and I say this when I train when I train decision making, how to, people how to make decisions three times faster, or how to evaluate risk, make decisions with seventy percent of the information. That that's nice. the magic number. You can that t- it takes about one fifth of the time to gather the information, and you will be and you will actually make three times as many positive decisions. I scarily enough. I love I have that. A, I have a mathematical proof for it even. Yeah, right? you for sure are speaking to the to the type, not type A, but the more logical engineering, you know, analytical folks. I love right, that. Like just they want to know, that. don't just tell me my gut. I like how you give them like a 70%. Right. <laughs> like, right. okay, I can do that. Whatever the fuck I found that means. When I, said, <laughs> when I found when I said the easily attainable information, people didn't click. But the second I said 70%, 70%. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, they just knew and they don't have to have it all. That's all they knew. Right, right. They didn't have to totally figure it out. I love that. That's awesome. Okay, so with this final segment, I, I want to um, jump off of, you mentioned GFR commandment number five, make yourself your most important client. Yep. And how sort of central that has been for you in the transition from corporate into your own thing. So tell me now how everything that we've talked about, your you know life journey how has that shown up now in the business that you have now in the way that you're holding space for others now how is you know it's all making sense you're making yourself your most important client let's talk a little bit about that well first i would say that 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 is continues to be a journey for me that did making myself my most, <laughs> most important client. just this morning <laughs> well that's the thing i was i was, as i was preparing for this i i think the words damn it came out of my mouth a couple of times as i looked at that and realized a couple of spaces where i'm not but I, I realized that through most of my life, I had been, I had been trying, especially the last 10 years, I'd been helping others and aiming at aiming at others. And at first I was doing no self-care for myself. That's how I got into the trouble in the first place of not feeding in, right? I was 0% conscious that if I'm going to do all of this and pour this out into others, I've got to be in a good place. Now, on the flip side of that, I actually teach self-care as part of the trainings that I offer. Who knew awesome. that it goes totally the other side? In fact, I'm teaching it uh, next week to a client and her entire team. I, and kudos to her, by the way, for, yes. for actually prioritizing it for her team. But it, it, that's one. I also look and say, well, how about how I spend my time? How about how I used to prioritize the, and you'll like this one, how I used to prioritize all of the data and getting more information as opposed to prioritizing where I needed to be and where I needed to be present or what type of relationships I needed to have. And now I, I am, I'm happy to say those I'm doing well with. And as I do one-on-one coaching, as I do group coaching, as I do the podcast, as I train, I've gotten to a spot because I do treat myself most of the time as my number one client that a couple of things have happened. One is I have much richer relationships. Two is strangely enough, that when you get out of your own way, you find your own resonance and you actually flow and things start flowing to you instead of you having to fight for them. And that's so important to me. And three, I'm able to serve in a much more powerful way. I'm able to show up in a completely different way because I'm, I'm fulfilled. I, I know that in this moment, I, I believe the definition of success, what I've come to is that it's fulfilling the purpose you're meant for in the world each day, which means I no longer have to chase success. I, am, I can sit here for the first time in my entire life 
in these last few months and look at you and tell you I am currently successful. And because I'm not fighting for that and, and, and that fulfillment that comes, we're able to make such a huge difference in people's lives. And I, I, I love my clients. I adore them. I love being able to go and speak around the world and share these messages of hope and inspiration, but also with practical things of how they can go do it and how they can achieve it so they get the outcomes in their lives and helping them truly to find freedoms, know that there's always light through the darkness and know that dreams are real. That's how it's manifested. Woohoo! I love it. Oh my gosh. I'm so fired up. So fired. I have so many quotes, so many great quotes that we're going to make little graphics on, share it for the yeah. podcast. I love right. that. Yeah. My team's going to have a really good time. It's so central to what I've been walking out in the last particularly two, three years with the GFR mission around me making sure, like me walking that value of GFR, right? Me living day to day that value. Right. And if something is out of alignment, where am I not speaking my truth, right? It's just, right. it's, and so I always appreciate talking with another mission driven entrepreneur that has really taken that to heart because to me that, that congruency, that alignment is so attractive, <laughs> you know, so we don't need to, you know, you know, like cut your marketing budget 50% when you're in alignment, right. you know, just, right. It's, it's very effective and efficient. So you are exuding that. And I really appreciate you being here today and embodying that and, and being so um, beautiful and sharing your story because it just, I know it's going to save lives. I know it's going to make an impact on parents as well as those that are wanting to make a big change with their career in some way and having that courage. And so I, I really appreciate this conversation. Is there any final thoughts or quotes or juicy bits that you want to leave with the audience? <laughs> well, first, let me say thank you for allowing me the space to share it. The, these messages are important and the light that you're bringing into the world matters. The, the opportunity to share with people the importance of getting fucking real is so important. And, and that realness, that resonance, it matters. As far as what I would share, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty important, is that each and every person listening to this matters. You have value right now without having to be someone different, without having to accomplish something, without having to go anywhere, without having to depend on anyone else's validation, you matter. Your contribution to the world as you are matters. The light that you have in you, it matters and it can grow and it can flourish and it doesn't have to look like anyone else's. It doesn't have to be like anyone else's because you are you. And the fact that you matter allows the space for you to know and feel confident that there's light through every darkness. If I can give you that encouragement, I truly will. And it allows you to know that your dreams really are real. Just keep that in mind. You matter always. Beautiful. Thank you, Dan McPherson. Thank you. Hey, y'all, make sure you grab the link to Dan's foundation or leadership course, which she is gifting everybody. I think he said it's like $1,000 value. That link is in the show notes. Also, make sure to grab your copy of those GFR commandments if you hadn't, and it will come with uh, some uh, instructions on how to use them and a thumbtack. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Hang them up. Everybody that I talk to on a regular basis that I do, you know, on mentor coaching with, or that's in the GFR squad membership. Um, it's so funny how the, their commandments are close at hand at all times. They can like pull them out and hold them up in front of the screen. So I think you will too. They're really 
beautiful to have around as a reminder of how we can get in our own way. So make sure you grab those at gfr.life forward slash 12C. And then if you are a GFR squad member, which is a really cool way to snuggle up to me, to the idea of keeping it real, to a really awesome community, I think it's a 20 bucks a month right now uh, or 200 for the year, super cool community. And we meet once a month on video and talk about one of the commandments. Anyway, so join the squad if you haven't. And then if you have, or when you do, Dan does this really cool bonus training for the squad. He calls it the personal growth accelerator. And I was like, okay, what's that? Cause it just sounds like, all right, ho-hum, like what, what does that mean? And what he teaches is how to use a feedback loop, like asking people for feedback in a very systematic way in order to facilitate an acceleration in your personal growth. And it's really cool. So you get that um, in our GFR squad uh, Facebook group. We call it the GFR squad quad. If you join us or you're a member there, so go check that out. And without further ado, I will say, I look forward to seeing you next time here on the GFR show.